Welcome to the Mercy Hill Church Podcast. This podcast is a collection of sermons and conversations intended to stir up your affections for Jesus. We hope this content helps you know and tell the story of Jesus better. If you have a Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 2. Uh, here at Mercy Hill, feel free to pull out your print version that you've had for years. Use your phone app. That's all great. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you want to look at one, uh, there's some in the back of the room. You can go grab one of those. Uh, and if you want to take it home, you are more than welcome to take that Bible home with you. Galatians chapter 2, we're going to pick up in just a few minutes in verse uh, 15. Uh, I have uh, somewhat of a guilty pleasure that I need to confess to you this morning. Uh, I love courtroom dramas. Yeah, all right, so this Harry down front. Um, there's something about it that's incredibly compelling. Uh, perhaps it's because as a very young uh, child, uh, what I did every time I stayed home sick from school was watch Matlock. You guys remember Matlock? Amy Griffith plays a defense uh, attorney who somehow, uh, just the, the, the universe always aligned uh, that his client was never guilty, Right? And he always proved it in the last minute in his baby blue suit. You know, I mean, like, he just always made it happen. I love that. If you're under 35, uh, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. Of course, he's a classic of all classics, which is watching Gregory Peck play Agnes Finch in The Kill a Mockingbird, uh, one of the classic American novel, uh, and then later a movie. And, uh, and then another one of my favorites, you guys remember A Few Good Men? I watched A Few Good Men. Watching Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson square off in the courtroom. You can't even know the truth. Oh, I love it. Love that movie. And of course, it doesn't just happen in TV and movies, uh, but we get a little bit of courtroom drama in our real lives. And so maybe for some of you uh, around in the 90s, you remember uh, the pop cultural phenomenon that was the O.J. Simpson trial, watching Johnny Cochran say, if it, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? And then more recently, uh, the Johnny Depp trial, Amber Heard's taken over uh, in our culture. Everybody's been talking about it, drawn into this courtroom drama. Now, I don't want you to think less than me, but perhaps my favorite courtroom is Judge Judy. It's classic, right? Yeah, I love Judge Judy, right? No nonsense, Judge Judy. And, and of course, um, the one I, I, I have watched one episode of, but the newest addition to reality TV courtroom scenes is uh, Steve Harvey. Anybody watch Judge Steve Harvey? I watched one episode. Uh, from what I can discern, uh, the entire ju- uh, show is just simply someone's real life setting him up for jokes. Like, it's just a joke setup. That's all it is. They don't even pretend that it's a real courtroom. Uh, and so it's pretty, pretty entertaining. Here's what we're going to see in our passage today. Paul is going to use a metaphor of a courtroom, some legal language, to explain a deeply spiritual reality. And the truth that he's going to outline about this courtroom scene or this legal metaphor may today catch you by surprise. Because I think when we really dig in, we're going to see the picture that's painted Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15, is a radically different picture than the one that we often carry around in our hearts and in our minds. So can we just pray together, and then we'll jump into the passage. Father, 
Father, by your Spirit, could you speak to us through the Scripture today? Could you show us the truth and help us to apply it to our hearts? Amen. Verse 15, Galatians chapter 2. Remember Paul's writing to a network of churches in a region called Galatia. They've had some trouble with some false teachers. Uh, and so he's writing to correct some of their behavior and beliefs. Verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. But if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too are found to be sinners, is Christ been a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So the key word that we have to define before we dig into the passage is this word justified. You see it in the text, it's repeated several times. And we'll often define justified just as having shown that we are in the right, that we are in the right for something maybe that we claim. And so you saying Bolt would be justified in claiming he's the fastest man in the world. Why? Because he proved it at the Olympics. Or you might feel justified if perhaps you've been accused of something at work and then it was shown to be someone else's fault. You would be in the right, shown to be in the right. I did not make a mistake. I'm not the one that did something that was wrong. In the scripture, this is the word that Paul is using to describe this legal courtroom scene. Justification in the scripture is used as a legal metaphor, where the judge is going to declare a defendant guilty or not guilty. And it is the judge's responsibility to rightly declare this person's standing. So justification is being used to describe having been shown in the right by God himself. Now, in a courtroom, uh, whether the person did it or not, it's not the declaration necessarily, right? That's an OJ trial. I mean, I don't want to overclaim he was found guilty by his peers in court. No, come on, right? The judge, reading the verdict from the jury, declared him not guilty. Whether he actually did the act, we don't know, right? And so in this courtroom scene, this word justify, is being declared or being said to be guilty or not guilty. We can understand justification as the opposite of condemnation. To be condemned means you've been declared guilty. You've been declared not in the right. And that you deserve the sentence that has come. But justification is a declaration of not guilty, to be free. No punishment.
judgment is coming to you, you are declared to be in right standing before God. In this way, it is also relational. And so it's used to describe a person who has nothing to be ashamed of before God, but they are connected rightly before God. They're in a right relationship with God. And Paul outlines in the text in three ways to be right with God. Three ways to be justified. Here's number one. Belonging to the right group. See that in verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth, not Gentile sinners. For the past couple of weeks, as we walk through Galatians chapter 1, chapter 2, we've seen that part of the debate centers around your identity. But there are false teachers who have been teaching that in order to be a Christian, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you must first embrace a Jewish identity or you have to belong to the right group. So the question is, does someone have to be Jewish first so that they can follow Jesus? And Paul has over and over again said, no. Well, you understand why this is a good question, right? Because we know the Jewish people received the Old Testament. They were chosen by God. God initiated a relationship with them, rescued them out of slavery in Egypt, brought them to a promised land, gave them promises of a future and a people, a land, gave them a law. Jesus himself was Jewish. It seems to be good to belong to this group of people. Also, that's not the way you're actually declared right before God. Being right with God in a right relationship with God isn't a matter of just getting in the right group, like rushing for the right sorority or getting into the right college or being born into the right family or of the right ethnicity. Simply belonging to the right group isn't what justifies or makes us right before God. So it's the first possibility in the text, belonging to the right group. The second possibility is obeying the right rules. See this in verse 16. What does it say? A person is not justified by the works of the law. He repeats it again. Not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one is justified. So the second way we can speak about being in a right relationship with God is by being good, by knowing what God requires and doing it, by being a rule follower. That seems to be right. I mean, is this what happens in the courtroom? If a defendant is judged by his or her own actions, that you're trying to prove that in this situation you did what was right, not what was wrong? And what we see in Galatians is, Paul is pointing back to and will again in chapter 3 point back to God's own people. Because it can't be right. Because here's what we know. He said to his Jewish brothers and sisters, we were chosen, we did have the law, and guess what we found out? We couldn't obey it. In fact, if you read the Bible, in the Old Testament, what you find is the Bible goes out of its way to make sure you understand that none of the heroes are actually heroes. If Abraham is deeply flawed, then Moses is deeply flawed, then King David is deeply flawed, then the prophets declaring God's truth to his people are all deeply flawed. That's one of the things that sets the Bible apart from other religious writings. And so Paul said, we of all people should know that you can't be right with God simply by obeying the rules. 
because we had the rules and we had every advantage, and guess what we didn't do? We didn't obey the rules. And so we're not in a right relationship with God. Obeying the rules won't get you into a right relationship with God. In a way, this is good news, right? Because each of us personally would have to admit that obeying all of God's rules is what puts us in a right relationship with Him. We fall woefully short. It's often why when you come to church and you get around like a religious place, you go, I feel what? Condemned. I feel judged. I feel not in the right. I feel really awful. Because we are confronted with the fact that we fall short of obeying the rules. And this is the third way that we could be justified before God. Way number three is this. Trusting the righteous Savior. Verse 16, look at what he repeats. You're not justified by works of law, but what? Through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, we believe in Jesus Christ. By what? In order to be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. You see this metaphor of justification as a twist. And what Paul's talking about is very different from the courtroom dramas that we see played out on television. It's not just you. The twist is, you're actually not declared in a right relationship with God by your own actions, but by the actions of someone else. In this passage, Paul says, we all know we fall short, belonging to the right group, didn't help us be right with God, doing the right things, the right behavior, didn't help us be right with God. What we needed was something else. We needed someone else. That person is Jesus. And so the way he says that we get in a right relationship with God is not by doing the right things or belonging to the right group, but by faith in Jesus. By trusting, for the word faith means trusting in Jesus. And that when we trust in Jesus, even though we are guilty, we're declared by God to be not guilty. Even though we deserve condemnation, we are declared to be free. From condemnation. See, because what happens? You see this phrase, faith in Christ Jesus? It's repeated all throughout Paul's letters, this phrase, in Christ. What he means by that phrase is that when you trust Jesus, that God counts what's true of Jesus to be true of you. So, whereas you and I have fallen short of God's standard, Jesus didn't. He is righteous. He proved himself to be in the right. And so, Jesus' goodness and his character is counted toward me when I trust Jesus. And the sentence of death that I deserve, the Bible says, because of my sin, the sentence that is coming to me from the judge, guess what? Jesus paid for me in his own death. So Jesus' sentence is counted as mine. And that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Jesus' resurrected life is counted as my life. So Paul says the way that you are in a right relationship with God isn't by belonging to the right group or the right behaviors. It's by believing and trusting Jesus. 
Jesus in your hearts. I love Tom Schreiner defines faith this way. He says, faith looks away from oneself and trusts what Jesus has done. That's what it means to be a Christian. Church attendance, being morally perfect, belonging to a right group, clicking Christian in a bio on Facebook, are not the things that get you in a right relationship with God. It's by trusting in Jesus, His life, His death, His resurrection. When we turn from looking at our own self, our own belonging, our own achievements, our own, this is what we have to offer, our own defense, then we can trust Jesus, His defense for us. This is good news. This might be the best news in the world. And it's good news for religious people. Isn't being in the right group what drives religion? Getting in the right group, finding the right church or the right organization that teaches all the right stuff, finding the group that makes me feel good or makes me feel superior to other people. Is there religion about obeying all the right rules? Real Christians do fill in the blank. This is, in fact, Paul's story. He talks about it in Philippians chapter 3. I'll read it for you. He says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, what does he mean? If anybody else thinks that he should boast about his own standing before God, he says, it's me. I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. I've been Jewish since the day I was born. Right? As to the law uh, uh, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Like, I'm the best of the best. I'm the top gun of Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, I took the law seriously. I tried to obey it. As to Seal, he says, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he says, blameless. Nobody could accuse him of anything. But in verse 7, but whatever gain I have, I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, in order to say that I might be in Christ. Also, in my religious pursuits, I was in the right group. I belonged. And I obeyed all the right rules. In fact, he says, I did terrible things. I chased down people and threw them in jail to defend my group and to prove that I was in the right. And none of it worked. None of it put me in peace with God. None of it worked. And these things aren't bad, right? A good family tree is good. Good reputation is a good thing. Being a good person is a great thing. That's not the point. What Paul is saying, none of those things save you. None of those things put you in a right relationship with God. So verse 16, Paul says, I realize that. Belonging to the right group didn't save me. Obeying all the right rules didn't save me. So what does he say? So we, he's speaking for him, his, himself and the rest of his team. So we, we believed in Christ. He's saying, I figured out that path was not going to work. 
that I wasn't in right standing before God because I belonged to the right group. And my identity as Jewish wasn't going to save me. He's saying I wasn't going to be right with God because of my obedience. That I did terrible things in order to prove that I was right. Then my best wasn't good enough. He's saying, so instead I chose the third path. I trusted in Christ. I believed in Jesus. This is a sobering reality for many of us that would count ourselves as religious. Religion, trying to prove yourself to God by your obedience, just doesn't work. In our Western American culture, that's built on pragmatism, it's baffling that people continue to try. It just doesn't work. So it's good news for the religious. You don't have to find the perfect group that has everything right. You don't have to perfectly obey the laws to be right with God. You can trust Christ. Because Jesus' action is counted as yours. It's also good news for the non-religious. Those of us today who might not call your search a search for God or for salvation, Perhaps you would say you're searching for significance or meaning. That salvation for you might be, you talk about a good life or a fulfilled and meaningful life. Perhaps you'll talk about justification, being right with God. But you are talking about justification in terms of justifying your own existence. Striving for right standing before others. Constantly trying to prove your worth that you deserve to be here. And how do you do that if you're not a very religious person? The same way. You have to find the right group. Shadi Hamid in the Atlantic, April 2021, wrote an article about America without God. This is what he says. As Christianity's hold in particular has weakened, ideological intensity and fragmentation have risen. American faith, it turns out, is as fervent as ever. It's just that what was once religious belief has now been channeled into political belief. Political debates over what America is supposed to mean have taken on the character of theological disputes. This is what religion without religion looks like. Hear what he just said? As our participation in public religion has decreased, our fervor to prove ourselves right when someone has not changed whatsoever. And so we have run to politics, believing that if we just find the right group, if it's an R or a D, then we are going to find significance and meaning and salvation. This is not new. In the 60s, the hippie movement, finding the right group. Hipsters in the 40s and then the reinvented version in 2010s, finding the right group. Cosplay. Finding the right group. When I was in high school, grunge quickly turned to golf. Everyone's looking for the right group. Why? 
Because if I can just find a place where I belong, I'll find a sense of significance. I'm looking for people to justify me. Mostly, all of that is built on the false belief that if I just get in the right group of people, I will prove my own worth, I'll show that I deserve to exist, and I'll find significance. Some people, it's not church. It's politics, some other subgroup. All of it is church. All of it is church to be justified. Or, Maybe number two, religious non-religious people being in the right. For the non-religious, there's still a law. The law isn't the Bible. It might be the law of the land or the law of our current society, following the right rules around tolerance, acceptance, or justice. And then you know what we do? Because to be justified, you have to show that you are in the right. So we post that junk on social media. And some of us have changed our stance on a variety of issues month to month to month. Why? Because we're trying to be justified. We're trying to prove that we're in the right. And so we post it everywhere. Trying to show, look, I'm good. I'm a good person. I deserve to exist. Don't cancel me. I am significant. Again, mostly built on the false belief that if I follow the right rules, religious, non-religious, social, then I will prove my own worth. And here's the problem for people who are very religious and people who are not religious whatsoever. Self-justification never works. There is no end. There is no bottom. It is exhausting to find the right group, to embrace the right stance, to do all the right behavior. It is confusing. Last week I was supposed to reject this, but now I'm supposed to embrace it. It is guilt-ridden. Did I do enough or did I do too much? Self-justification is alienating. If my people in my right group found out that I disagree about this one thing. I'm out. If they find out that I did this one thing, I'm out. Then my past is full of this, then I'm out. Isn't this the phenomenon that we see currently whenever someone accomplishes something great? Someone does a Twitter deep dive and pulls up every negative thing they ever did? Alienating and isolating. It is unending. There's always more. There's always one more achievement, one more threat to the group, one more new belief to embrace in order to be good or in the right. And deep down, you know it doesn't work. Deep down, we know it's just a hamster wheel over and over and over again. Self justification doesn't work. The religious or the non-religious. Why? Because the Bible says that you were created to be in a relationship with God to be right with God. That that is the heart of the problem. And all of our group identities where we look for belonging are simply a substitute for belonging to God. 
that all of our striving for approval is actually striving to be approved by God. And all of our attempts to justify ourselves is because deep down we know we want to be right with God. Today, we do not need to justify ourselves. We can have right standing before God by trusting only in Jesus' work for us in our lives. Today, we can get off the hamster out of the rat race, out of the never-ending pit of no bottom of self-justification. And be declared in a right relationship with God simply by trusting in Jesus. And then Paul says the beauty of this is you get a new identity. See this in verse 19? For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. That's weird. People who are dead aren't usually like, hey, I'm dead. I'm just actually live. Tell me that right now. Here's what he means. I tried really hard to work myself into a right relationship with God, but I had to give up on my own. So I died. Stop trusting the law and my obedience to it to, to do what was incapable of doing. Why? He said, so I can have what I really wanted anyway, a vibrant relationship with God. I'm off the rules, rat race. He said, and what I found to actually get to know God. In verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. This is my new identity. My old self that was bent on self-justification has been crucified. I laid that guy down. It's like Christ died on the cross and have a new identity. For Paul, the old Pharisee is gone. The new Paul, whose life is supplied by Jesus, not accomplishment or self-righteousness, is now here. The new you. Off trying to find the right group all the time. To be crucified. To a new life. Being defined by your relationship with Jesus. Me, the me that used to be, doesn't live anymore. The part of me that was dependent on a group identity, that felt like I had to justify myself, is gone. And I've got this new life in Christ. Why? Why is this new identity so good? Because Jesus loves me. Jesus is the one who gave his life for me. My job never gave its life for me. My group identity never laid down its life for me. The religious establishment that demanded that I obey all the rules never gave its life for me. But Jesus, Jesus loves you to the point of his own death for you in your place. And the invitation today is a right relationship with God and a new identity rooted in Jesus.
need you to understand this. Please don't miss this. Embracing a new identity in Christ necessarily means laying down and leaving behind other primary identities. You will no longer be primarily identified by your religious group, your politics, your sexuality, your achievements, your obedience, your self-righteousness, or your social media persona. What you get in return is an identity that's more unshakable than any of those things. An identity being belonging to Jesus. The promise of Jesus isn't a perfect life. The promise isn't that you become a Christ like a cancer. Or you're going to get a new Kia Telegram. Be blessed in your own personal helicopter. That's not the promise. The promise is you'll be given a new unshakable identity that perseveres and everything else that fights for your identity disappears. That's the promise. So, there is an invitation today for two groups of people. First, if you don't know Jesus, and you are tired of trying to find the right group to give you significance and meaning in Christ, and you are tired, exhausted, with trying to follow all the right rules, even religious or cultural, Today, don't wait. Trust Jesus. Look away from yourself and look to Christ. Believe that Jesus loves you and gave Himself up for you. Find your identity in Jesus. Then the invitation for those of us who are already followers of Jesus is to give up self-justification. You don't have to prove yourself to anybody anymore. You don't have to earn significance anymore. So we're free to live like that. You don't need social media to like everything that you post. You don't need a long list of approval, accolades, or achievements. Those aren't necessarily bad things. But for those of us who know Jesus, just walk in front of you and you're free. I'm not a right person. Thanks for listening to the Mercy Hill Church podcast. To keep up with the life of Mercy Hill Church, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We believe the Christian life is best experienced in community. If you're in our area, we'd love for you to join us. If not, we'd love to help you get plugged into a local church near you. Have a great week.